So it's really good to see everybody. Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer and we'll get into our text today talking about Jesus and the establishment of the kingdom of God as we're uh, studying the life of Christ through harmony of the gospel. Because of our uh, pre-conversation, our class will be a lot shorter today, so we'll try to stay focused and get through what we need to get through. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this time that you've given us together to come and to trust you, to listen to your word, to receive you, to believe you. Uh, to hear your truths, and I just pray for every man and woman in this room, for each of us here, that you will help us to receive those truths, to believe those truths, to understand those truths, and not only that, but take these truths and go and share them with others so that others might know you as well. So be with us in this time of study. In the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, so last time we were together, we did a lesson called The Narrow Door. And so I'm going to remind you of that as we read through it. We're going to read the whole text, but we're only going to work on the second half because we worked on the first half of the text last week. Luke chapter 13, verse 22. Jesus was passing through one city and village after another. He was teaching and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. Now, what's the purpose of going to Jerusalem? To die on the cross, right? And it says, And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? Right, And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin standing outside and knocking on the door saying, Lord, open to us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin saying, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. And yet he will say to you, uh, I do not know you. Where you are from, leave me, all of you evildoers. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself being thrown out. And they will come from the east and west and north and south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last will be first and some who uh, are first will be last. At that time, some of the Pharisees approached, saying to him, Go away and leave this place, because Herod uh, wants to kill you. And he said, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I am casting out demons and performing healings today and tomorrow, and on the third day I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must go on my journey today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be a pro- that a prophet would perish outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who have been sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as hens gather her young under her wings and you are unwilling. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So really quickly, I want to go back to the beginning and remind you of a couple things we said. The road to salvation, the road to entrance into the kingdom of God is a narrow road. And the door to enter into that kingdom is a narrow door. Jesus actually says in the book of John that he is the door. Right. So how do we enter the kingdom of God? How do we enter the eternal kingdom? It's through Jesus Christ and what he's done alone. Faith alone in Christ alone. To the glory of God alone. That's what makes that door narrow. Every other religion, world religion out there is, is what, well, not every religion, but let's just say the Catholic religion, for example. The Catholics believe that you have to have faith in Jesus Christ, but they also believe that you have to have works 
too. So their door is a little bit wider. Why? Because they say it's not only what Christ done, but what you've done too. Not only what you've done, but what the saints have done for you as well. So the door is a little wider in that circumstances. Let's take someone who is a uh, free-loving uh, atheist hippie. All right. Uh, we'll say a un- right, right a universalist, somebody who believes that everybody in the end is going to be saved. How would the door look for them? Wide open. Anybody can go in. You can do anything you want and still get in through the door. But Jesus is making sure that we understand that this path to salvation, this path to the kingdom of God is a very, very narrow path. When we talk about a door, I reminded you last week we want to think of Noah's Ark. And what did God do when Noah and his wife and his uh, three sons and three daughters got into that uh, ark with the animals, it says God sealed the door shut. Those that were in the ark were saved from God's wrath and destructions. Those that were outside of the ark died in the flood. The picture is the ark is Jesus. And all of those who are in Jesus are safe from the wrath of God. But anyone who is not in Christ will receive the judgment of God because they are not under the protective uh, blood of Jesus Christ. That makes sense? And so Jesus is talking to this group of people and they're saying, well, how is it that just a few are saved? Now remember, the people that Jesus is working with here are Jewish people. And what do the Jewish people think about the Jewish people? They're the only ones that are going to be saved. They say So they're saying, is it just a few people that's going to be saved? Well, Jesus tells one of the Pharisees later on, Nicodemus, he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's not just about you Jewish people. The kingdom of God is about all of those who God will call to himself. And the Jewish people couldn't grasp that concept because they had been raised all of their life to believe that they were the only ones. That they were the special people of God. Now, in a physical sense, the sons of Abraham were a the chosen people of God. What did he cho- choose them to do? He chose them to be a light for the world. He chose to use he chose to use them as an example of who God's people are. And in in despite the fact that he chose that nation. There were only a few within that nation who truly chose him as well. So a lot of people like to carry the mantle of being a child of God, but inwardly in their heart, they are not. I want you to look at a passage with me really quickly. Keep your finger there. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. And let me show you something there. In Romans chapter 2, at the very end of the chapter, all right? And this is Romans chapter 2 and verse 28 and 29. Look what it says right here. Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and the circumcision is of the heart. By the Spirit not by the letter, and his praise is not from people, but from God. All right, so what made a Jewish man a Jewish man? His circumcision. He was a genetic son of Abraham, and he was circumcised. 
But Jesus was saying, uh, Paul was saying right here, it's not an outward work that makes you a Jew. It's an inward work. The true Jew is one who has had his heart circumcised. All right. Now, if we wanted to put that into a modern text, we could say it this way. He is not a Christian who is one outwardly, nor is his Christianity that which is outward in the flesh. But Or he is not a Jew who is baptized in the flesh. He is a Jew who has been baptized in the heart by the Spirit of God and not by the letter of the law. Does that make sense? So if someone is not regenerate in their heart and you baptize them, whatever way you believe you're supposed to be baptized, whether it's sprinkling or dunking them, if the person is not regenerated in the heart, when they come out from under that water or they come out from under that sprinkling, they are still a child of the world. They outwardly carry an appearance that they are now a child of God. But what Paul is making us understand right here is it is not the one who is a Jew on the outside that is a chosen one of God. It's the one who is a Jew on the inside. Now, turn over to Romans chapter 9 really quick. A couple pages over there in Romans chapter 9. Um, I don't get it. And what, oh, what do you mean you don't get it? First part of three. We'll, we'll get there later. So, it says, Romans 9 9 verse 6, But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who descended from Israel. Think about what he's saying there. They are not all Israel who descended from Israel. Nor are they children because they are Abraham's descendants. My, can I just read it this way so it might be a little easier to understand? It is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Same thing. Yep. Nor are they children because they're Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants shall be named. That is, watch this verse 8. It is not the children who are of the flesh that are the children of God, but the children of promise are regarded as descendants. Right? And Isaac was the promised child. Remember, Isaac was born of a mother and a father who were beyond the physical ability to have kids. You remember that? Her womb was dried up. Right? How was he born? Through a miracle. It points us to Christ. Mary's womb was dry too, wasn't it? Why? Why was Mary's womb dry? Because she was young. Well, that's true, but why? She was a virgin. Yeah, she had never known a man. It was physically impossible for her to have a baby. But Jesus was a child of promise. Every one of us in this room are children of Adam. Right? And being a child of Adam doesn't make you a child of promise. It makes you a child of Adam. All right? And you can go out and you can make other little Adams and Eves. You see how that works? But a true child of God is one who has been born of the promise in the heart, not of the flesh. So when Jesus said, you must be born again, what he was saying is, Adam's not getting in the kingdom. Only the children of promise are. You said... So Adam's not in heaven? Adam is a type of all of fallen mankind. Adam was covered in the the lamb's clothes, remember? He was naked, oh, and, right, right, right. and God came to him and forgave him. All right, 
So, but the point being is, is that our physicality, our genetics, does not make us a child of the kingdom of God. All right. Now. I must seem really silly to you right now. <laughs> all right. Back to the text in Luke. Okay. Remember who Jesus is talking to here. Oh, really? He is talking to a nation of people who believe that they are God's chosen people. At this time, are they God's chosen people? Yes, you better believe it. He gave them, Paul, very clear to tell us that they had the laws, they had the promises, they had the Messiah. God used them as a people that the Messiah would come through. Are we to love Jewish people? Yes, yes very much so. But we're also supposed to love everybody, right? Right. And so the, the truth of the matter is, is Jesus as the Messiah is coming and presenting himself and presenting the kingdom to his chosen people. What are they going to do with it? Rejected. Yeah, most of them are. And John, John's very clear to say he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all of those who did receive him, to those who believed on his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. These children were not born of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. So you see what they're doing here. They're saying that Jesus come physically in the flesh to a physical people with, that had all of the spiritual promises that they could ever need. They had the law, they had the temple, they had the sacrifices, they had a system in place, and God said, do this and you will live. But none of them did it. Why? Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But they were God's chosen people to be a light to the world, and they chose instead of being a light to the world, to be a light to themselves. Look how bright we are. And when the true light came into the room, what did they do? They shrunk into the darkness and said, we don't want anything. All of the people in the New Testament who are believers and all of the people in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are all Jewish people. Yeah. 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 But they didn't didn't turn their backs on him and the the crowds he had and all that. That's all I'm saying. He he had plenty of followers and he also had plenty of followers that weren't Jewish too, right? And in the Old Testament, remember, there's a 1,400 years worth of people from Adam to Abraham. None of them were Jewish. They had to believe on Jesus too. But the Pharisees and the and the and the power structure of that whole setup, country, religion, whatever you want to call it, was corrupt, and their and their uh, their God was really themselves. Good, and that's what that's why they're rejecting Christ. Okay, so let's get back into the text again. 13, it says, uh, let's look then. Once, uh, this is verse 25. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door and you begin to stand outside knocking and say, Lord, open up, he will then will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. Then you will begin saying, we ate and we drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. And yet he will say, I do not know you. Depart from me, you evildoers. In their place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out. So what's he saying? Within the realm of Israel, the nation, the physical nation of Israel, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of the prophets were members of that physical nation, were they not? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're all the physical descendants of Abraham. They were also all members of the socio-political and religious system, were they not? Yes. Yes. But what Jesus is saying right here is the kingdom of God is bigger than any world system, any world socio-political system. And you think that your physical socio-political system, religious system is what makes you a child of God. And in reality, it's the promise of God that makes you a child of God. And what did they do? They rejected the promise. Why? Because they would rather hold on to the physical than to receive the spiritual kingdom that God was offering them. And, and here's what he said. You think you're a part of the kingdom, but you're going to be standing on the outside with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what that is, gnashing of teeth and weeping is signs of sorrow, grief, and gnashing of teeth is a picture of pain. Yes. Right? So what's he saying? You're going to be cast into hell, and Abraham and Isaac and, and all of these prophets, we're going to see in a second, that you killed. The ones that came to you declaring the kingdom of God, you killed them. And you think you're members of the kingdom, but you're going to be standing outside and you're going to be cast into hell and suffer torment and gnashing of teeth and weeping forever. And you'll look back in and say that, see the very ones that you got your name from are in the kingdom and you're on the outside looking in. So they're chosen people, the Jews. Were they chosen to, to suffer because they won't believe? I mean, God could clear their hearts. That's a great question. All right, so remember this. When Pharaoh wanted to destroy uh, Moses, what did he do? He killed all of the male babies in all of Israel. Firstborns. Right, the firstborn. When Herod... Wanted to kill Jesus. What did he do? Kill all the the firstborn. These are attacks on Jewish people. Now, these are attacks on Jewish people by Gentiles. What did Herod, what did Hitler want to do? He wanted to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. Mm -hmm. Well, why? Well, all three of the, first of all, the promise all the way back in Genesis says that one day the woman's going to have a baby that's going to crush your head. So the devil knew that the promised one would come through the seed of Abraham, through the seed of Isaac, through the seed of Jacob. And he was trying his best to cut that promise off. You see, if you could physically wipe the Jews off of the face of the earth, you can physically negate that they were God's promised people, thereby negating the promise of God. You see how that works? Yeah, but when you say yeah, but why Jews, is he not opening their heart for the, them to believe? Think about, God or think about through all of the history of the nation of Israel. Right. There was always genocide. People were always coming in trying to destroy them, right? right? And God all believers, huh? They're not but there were believers within the. So yeah, Je- Jeremiah was a believer. God drug off uh, Ezekiel was a believer. God drug all of them off into captivity, and they suffered along with the nation. The believers suffered along with the nation, but it was because of their rebellion that they were drug off into bondage into slavery. You see. So, the attacks on God's promised people have always been. Why? Because when the real promise, who is the real promise? Jesus, Jesus came, what did the world do? Rejected Nailed him to a cross. They hate God's promise. And if you are a child of God today, you are in the body of Christ. Did you know that? Well, what did they do to the physical body of Christ? Crucified it. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think they're going to do to the spiritual body of Christ? Yeah, but... It- that's the Christians. What about the Jews? What, what, the Jews still don't believe with the yes. vengeance. Now, 
so to the point, the physical, sociopolitical nation of Israel right now that's over there that's getting attacked. That's a terrible thing that's happening. The Hamas it people, awful. it's awful. It's, it's, it's a catastrophe. Terrific. It's also a catastrophe what's going on in the Ukraine. It's a catastrophe what's going on in, in the Sudan. It's a catastrophe what's going on in, in South Africa or Middle Africa, the starvation. and things. It's terrible what's going on. These are horrible things that are happening. But there has always been a focus on the physical nation of Israel. Why? Because deep down inside, people know that God's word is true. And they truly were God's physical people. But when the Messiah came, this is what Herod said. Herod said, I find no fault in him. Do with him what you wish. And the children of Israel said this, the rejecting children of Israel, not the believers, but the ones who rejected him said this, let his blood be on our hands and the hands of our children. They brought a curse wow. down upon their own head by rejecting the Messiah. And they're suffering. They've been suffering throughout history. And is God allowing that suffering? You better believe it. Why? As punishment, as an example, and most importantly, as a way to drive those true physical children of Abraham who are his sheep away from trusting in themselves and turning and trusting who? The Messiah. You see, so God is going to use all this turmoil and stuff that's going on over there, and he's rattling cages every day. And people are scared. They don't know where to turn. And hopefully and prayerfully and by the providence and will of God, somebody's going to come to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're going to be provoked to jealousy and say, wait, that's my Messiah. And they're going to turn from trusting in themselves, turn from trusting in their physical status, and they're going to turn and trust the one that died to save them. You see how that works? So this is all a part of God's plan. So there is a point in time. Where the Jews will According to Paul, there's going to be a time near the end where many of the children of Israel, the physical children of Israel, are going to be provoked to jealousy by the Gentiles having their promise. See what happened? What, did, what happened when the Jews rejected Jesus? He, who did he turn to? The Gentiles. Paul. And who did Paul go to? The Gentiles. And now all over the world, who are the believers? The Gentiles. Gentiles. There are there are true Jewish believers today too, Messianic oh, no, Jews. No, no, All right. Well, what what the the scripture tells us is that at the end there are going to be many who are going to turn back and say, "Wait a minute, those Jew, those Gentiles have our Messiah," and they're going to be provoked to jealousy. They're going to turn away from trusting in themselves and turn to trust the Messiah. Provoked to jealousy, which will be dangerous for the Gentiles. No. It means that, that wait a minute, you that's he's mine. That kind of provokes the jealousy. I want that. Alright? So it's a beautiful plan of the way God is going to work. But right here in this passage that we're studying today, we're seeing where Jesus is confronting a group of people that hate him. And what is he saying? You think you're in the door. And in reality you're on the outside looking in. The prophets are here. Abraham's here. Isaac's here, and you're going to be on the outside weeping and gnashing your teeth. You're going to be in the outer darkness, and they're going to be in the light. Now, again, think about the church today. It's, there's very, there's a, a big similarity between us 
and the the physical people of Israel are not. We've been chosen by God to be what? A light to the world. A city set on a hill. Do we live in rebellion and not share that light with others? Do we provoke God to jealousy just like the children of Israel did in the wilderness? You better believe it. And we have more less excuse than they do because his very spirit lives within us. Well, the Jews can be quite hateful to Christians. And Christian can be quite hateful to Jews. That's it's Jews. A, that's yes. human nature. So again, one of the things that I hope that people are already will re- jealous. Huh? You think uh, I, I think jealous? There, there's many that have turned to Christ. I think of course, yeah. There's many that's turned to Christ. But again, I pray for them every day. But again, it's beautiful to see how God's plan is working out. And and we as human beings focus so much on race and race and ethnicity. There's so much division yeah, and war and, and garbage going on between what race or what genealogy, what family tree you're from. And the reality is we're all sons of Adam. All of us. And we're all fallen and we all sin. We all come short of the glory of God. And God is not a respecter of person. And we need to turn away from being ourselves and turn to what he wants us to be. We need to turn away from our sin ourselves and turn to what his son Jesus did for us on the cross. We need to step into the kingdom of God and step out of the kingdom of this world. And so there's so many things in the kingdom of this world that are physical that we stay focused on. Like, um, and the world wants you to stay focused on the oh, physical things. Because as long as you're staying focused on the physical things, you're not thinking about the spiritual realities. Now, can physical things point us to spiritual realities? Yes. That's exactly what the nation of Israel and their whole system of worship and their laws and their everything, the whole, the whole entire Old Covenant is a physical picture of a spiritual reality and we can draw spiritual conclusions from physical things. But that which is flesh is flesh and that which is spirit is spirit and our hope is not in the fleshly things but in the spiritual things so we got like 10 minutes now let's let's go so he says in verse 26 uh, verse 28 there will be weeping and gnashing teeth when you see abraham isaac jacob and the prophets in your kingdom but you yourselves being thrown out now watch this and they will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of god and behold some who are last will be first some who are first will be last well what is he talking about there well, he's talking about the gathering of God's people. He's talking about the gathering of God's people. I got a couple of verses here I want us to look at. Um, first of all, let's go over to John. Let's go to John chapter 10. One, a couple pages over to your right. John chapter 10, and it says this. 10-14. I am the good shepherd... I know my own and my own know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for who? The The sheep. sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice and they will become what? One flock flock with one shepherd. You see how that works? So he's talking to a bunch of Jewish people, and I said, he said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And I must bring them also, and then they will become what? One flock with one shepherd. And to say now in the new covenant, in the new era, that there are still two people of God, 
is to say that the good shepherd has not gathered us into one fold. That makes sense? Now, well, what about the Old Testament? Well, let's go back and look in the Old Testament. All right, we're going to go back and look at a couple of verses of Scripture. I want you to look at verse 25, verses 6 through 8 of Isaiah. Go to Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25, and again, we're pressed for time, so I'm going to read this stuff kind of quick to get through it. Isaiah chapter 25, and we're looking at verse 6 through 8. Isaiah 25, verses 6 through 8. This is what it says. Now the Lord of armies will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. That's the mountain of Jerusalem, Mount Zion, okay? A banquet of aged wine and choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. And on this mountain he will destroy the covering which is over all people, the veil which is stretched out all of all over the nations. He will swallow up death for all times, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken." And it will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let's rejoice and be glad in his salvation. All right? So this isn't, what he's saying is at the end there's going to be a big banquet. Now you remember our Luke passage, he said that there's going to be many at the banquet and you're going to be on the outside looking in. There's going to be many that said, didn't we drink wine in your presence and eat bread in your presence? He's going to say, I don't know who you are. They're left outside. But even in the Jewish Old Testament, this is it's a Jewish book, right? All of it was written by Jews. But even in their prophecies, it's saying that there's going to be all the peoples. It didn't say just his people. It said all the peoples. Did you see that again? Look at verse 6. He prepares a, the Lord army will prepare a lavish banquet. And, uh, verse seven, and on the, for all people. Yeah, and verse seven, and on this mountain, he will destroy the covering which is over all peoples. So, there's a banquet coming, a plan. Now, let's look at another passage really quickly. In, um, Isaiah, we're still in Isaiah, let's go back to 11, Isaiah 11. Verse 14 and see what that says. Isaiah 11 and verse 14. If you look back at Isaiah 11, there's a little paragraph header at the top of 11 that says the restored remnant. But in verse 14 it says this. Then they will swoop down on the slopes of the Philistines under the west. Together they will plunder the people of East. They will possess Edom and Moab and the sons of Ammon will be subject to them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. And he will wave his hand over the Euphrates River with a scorching wind. And he will strike into it seven peoples and make people walk over in dry sandals. And from there there will be a highway from Assyria. For the remnant of his people who will be left, just as there was for Israel on that day, they came up out of the land of Egypt. Well, so, like today, it? Now, well, what's happening, what he's doing is he's comparing the way that God pulled the children of Israel out of Egypt and split the sea open and allowed them to come into the promised land. It's a picture of the people of Edom and Philistia and all of these people who were the enemies of God's natural children Israel. And what's he going to do? He's going to make a way for them as well. So I'm reading both of these passages to remind you that Jesus said, I have other sheep that are not of this flock, and they must I must bring them also, and then there will be one flock with one shepherd. So 
Again, it's a picture. Let me ask you this. Are you suggesting there could be Palestinians? Yes, very much so. There are going to be Palestinians. And then there are going to be Ethiopians and there are going to be Australians and there are going to be Chinese and Japanese and uh, Assyrians and Alaskans and all over the world. Reverse of this? God's people are going to, on the end, the sheep and the sheep are going to be gathered from all four corners of the earth. And that's what the gospel message is doing right now. As we proclaim the gospel, God is reaching out to his people and saying, Come unto me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke for it's easy in life. And the gospel message is going out. And God is, in a sense, he's already separating the sheep and the goats, isn't he? It seems like the Palestinians are the goats. Right. He's separating the sheep from the goats. But how? By his voice going out. And what are his sheep doing? They're hearing and coming. And some of those sheep are red and yellow and black and white, mm-hmm. and they're all precious in his sight. Right? You said they were all Presbyterians. I said they were. All, <laughs> I said they were all. I'm sorry, my ears are not. That's all right. <laughs> you got that Westminster wax in your ears. <laughs> so there are people of God, and they're all His people. So look what it says in verse nine. Uh, we're not going to. We just simply will not get to the end today. There, there's no way. Eleven, verse nineteen. Luke nineteen. Or Luke 14, I'm sorry. Well, doesn't, doesn't this study roll into oh, no. your next study? Couldn't we? Yeah, like, we're gonna, we'll just extend it to next mm-hmm. week. Yeah. But Luke, uh, yeah, so we'll stop with this. Let's look at verse 29 and 30 one more time. They will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Now, a dispensationalist person believes that in the end times that all people from all over the world, north, south, east, and west, are all going to come and gather and come to Jerusalem, to the temple in Israel during the millennial reign. During the thousand-year reign, Jesus is going to set up the temple and the kingdom in Jerusalem, and people are going to come all over the world to worship him. Right? That's a physical understanding of what's going to take place. The reality is, is the gospel message is already of bringing a people from all over the world, north, south, east, and west, to come into the kingdom and worship God. And what is the mountain? The mountain is Mount Zion. Where is the Jerusalem? It's the heavenly Jerusalem. Right? Jerusalem is the city of God. Physically, in the Old Testament, when you read it, Jerusalem is the city of God. What was the temple in Jerusalem? Before it was destroyed in 780, what was the temple? The house of God. It was the place where people came to meet God. It was His dwelling place. Right? Well, when you get to the book of Revelation, it tells you that there's a city on a hill and that in the, in the heavenly kingdom there is no temple because Jesus is the temple. So that physical city of Jerusalem, that physical temple that's sitting up on top of the, the Mount of Olives over there, uh, right now, is a physical picture of a spiritual reality. Does that make sense? Does everybody grasp what I'm saying? The real meeting place, the real place that we go to meet God is in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's where we go to meet Him. And there is no building that we can build or no sacrifice that we can offer that will get us any closer to that place. And if I'm depending on any of those physical things to get me into the kingdom, I'm not going to fit through the door. 
Does that make sense? It's only through Christ that I'm allowed into the eternal kingdom. And that eternal kingdom is going to be filled with people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And the people of God are going to be His chosen people from all over the world. And it's not going to have anything to do with your genealogy or nationality, your political ties or your religious uh, denomination. It's going to be simply, are you in Christ are you a child? That's what's going to determine whether you enter the kingdom or not. And if you're in here today and you know you're not his child, I beg of you, turn away from this world, turn away from what you're trusting in, and turn to what Christ has done on the cross. He's never said no to anyone who turns to him. And the reality is if you have a desire within you to turn to him, it's because he is already calling you to him and you're responding to his voice. He knew you before you were ever born. And so we have to trust him and we have to trust him alone. We have to stop trusting in the physical things of this world. Right? We have to stop trusting in what we see with our eyes and what we hear with our ears. And we have to look to him with eyes of faith and ears of faith to hear his promises and drown out the noise of the world around us. Amen? All right, Father, thank you for this time we've had together today. Uh, I am so sorry that we did not get to finish our lesson. Uh, just be with us this coming week. Help us to come back together next week so we can uh, talk more about uh, the wonderful reality that even though you knew that that cross was waiting for you in Jerusalem, you turned your face towards Jerusalem and went and, and completed your Father's will for us to, to die to save a people for yourself. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring about us. Go with us in this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.